and welcome to the Authentic Connection podcast by Honeypot. My name is Laura and I'll be your host. Each week, a special guest and I will dive deep into authentic connection, unraveling what this means for us and how to find it with ourselves, each other and the environment. These raw conversations are packed with knowledge, wisdom and inspiration relatable for all human beings journeying through life. The universe has brought you to this podcast for a reason. Let's jump in and journey together. Welcome back to the Authentic Connection podcast by Honeypot. My name is Laura and today I am bringing you a delightful conversation I had with my sister, Sally Head. We talk about things I haven't spoken to Sally about before, so this was a really interesting conversation. We touched on feeling grounded in the city that you're actually living in, journaling, physical touch, the power of moving your body and dancing, the incredible perspective you get from the ocean, Um, and my favorite takeaway from this conversation is using language to reframe our relationship with the earth. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Sally Hitt. Hi, Sawow. It is lovely to be able to talk to you today for a purposeful chat. We obviously talk daily anyway, but it's super nice to have you for a solid hour Thank you, Lazil. Um, it's awesome to be here virtually with you. And like you say, <laughs> the more of a purposeful chat than to start daily chatter. Yeah, who knows what we'll get out of this conversation. Maybe I'll even find out things that I don't know about you. Back at you. <laughs> so the first question I want to start with is really just a chance to delve into a little bit about how you arrived at this point in your life talking us through some of the particularly pivotal moments in your life. Just a little wee question to start with. All right. You can't hear. I'm reshuffling my position. I'm getting getting ready for it. So what has got me landed where I am? Right now I am lying on my gorgeous bed um, in a beautiful flat out in Lyle Bay in Wellington. And I am, so yes, yeah, so grateful uh, and lucky in this, um, you know, anyway, but even more so in this strange lockdown time um, to live with six of my most beautiful friends um, right by the ocean. We can see it from our house. So, yeah, I have landed in a, a pretty sweet spot. Um, and it is interesting to reflect on kind of what got me got me here. And, and I guess um, I grew up with you <laughs> as my darling sister. And, I mean, we had, like, the most amazing um, upbringing and we were really close and I know that meant so much to me and I can totally remember when you went on your gap year um, which meant I was in my seventh form year I'd never been without you my entire life Um, and and that was hard much harder than I had imagined I can see myself sleeping in your bed and things like that oh (laughs) I know (laughs) again I don't know if you even knew that at the time, I didn't, I didn't know the extent of it at all. Yeah, no, it was, it was really, really hard actually. Um, 
but you know um lots of friends around and um mum and dad were so bloody good with us having all our friends over all the time um and friends that would just sleep on the sofa after nights out and all the things um and things were like you know pretty normal you sort of just follow the normal normal path of what you do you finish school I took a year out and ran around Europe um, which is again such a privilege um and had such an amazing time um at that age you know you're not you're not diving deep you're kind of (laughs) just having fun um but it's such a carefree time that I'm really grateful I had that because you have zero responsibilities as I do now but even no student loan you know there's just nothing um no pressure of a job even because I had planned to go to university um and again follow the quite normal footsteps of heading down to Dunners um being the you know somewhat party gal that I not even somewhat the party gal that I was it made sense to go down to Dunedin um yeah let's not pretend yeah (laughs) yeah and party did I what? I had a good good couple of years down there. Um and then I I only was I only lasted really two years um before I did a year on exchange in America. Um and there's like there's like different layers to it. You know when you at that point you didn't know, but like my gut was kinda like, I feel like you should get out of here, Sal. Dunedin's not bringing the best out of you. Yeah, you're having surface level fun. But what are you really doing? Um, and I think there was part of that little voice that was like, go do a full year somewhere else. Go do something different. Mm. But obviously it didn't, you know, say that at the time or anything. Um, and just had the most incredible year um, at uni in in Virginia, the University of Richmond. And I guess sort of why I go all, all the way back there is, I don't know, people ask, like, what did you want to – do when you were at school or like at university and like I never really thought about what I'd do I never really pictured I would do anything in particular like I wasn't intelligent I was kind of like the sort of fun friends with people slight weirdo you know like you know all good things um Mm. I didn't have any idea what I was going to do and nor did I when I was in America. I feel like there's a general societal expectation that when we're that age, we should know what we're doing or what we want to do. But I felt like we were really lucky because mum and dad never put that pressure on us. Mm, entirely. Yeah, it's kind of both sides of being a good thing because I didn't have that pressure, but also being that I didn't really have expectations of myself. Um, mm. um, but you're right, it's probably like, yeah, sort of a subconscious pressure there that I was avoiding. Well, looking back on it now for me, I'm always like, I was so young. It just didn't matter what I thought I was going to do back then because mm. what was going to happen was always going to happen. Yeah, but did you think did you think that back then? Did you have the trust that whatever's going to happen is going to happen? No, no, that's me thinking back now. I definitely didn't know that at the time. I felt mm. like the expectation at the time was that you knew what you were doing. Mm. in some ways I didn't actually even feel the expectation I didn't think anyone had any expectations that I would do anything significant right okay you know like kind of both yeah if if you know what I mean like I didn't have any dreams did you have any expectation for yourself no no well there was no like you know a career dream or an ambition or uh, anything like that. It's like I hadn't even let myself think of it because I was like, oh well, it's not really gonna, it's not really gonna happen. Um, mm. 
So it's like a kind of negative low expectation of myself. Mm. Um, and then, so then when I was in America and I met all these people for the first time, um, I, I didn't have any of, this is like your classic story. I didn't have any of my baggage. No one knew anything about me. No preconceptions. Yeah. And because of my like school down to university, like everything follows you. Um, and you kind of add it to your backpack and carry it with you. But in America, it was sort of just afresh and you felt really light and you could just be yourself. And people, you know, we were just having different kinds of conversations, probably more aligned with my interests. I realized I was really passionate about, um, I guess, politics and economics, which was what I had been studying. Also felt like kind of luck of the draw that I happened to love what I studied because it could have so easily been another way. And I suddenly just had this kind of drive. I was like, we can do what we want and we can, um, you know, make a difference, I guess, in an area that, that you wanted to. At the same time, I did have quite a lot of anxiety about finishing university and having zip idea what I wanted to do and came back to New Zealand at the end of um, that year in America. And, Laz, I do have such fond memories of you and me going for our, our goal. We are both back in Wellington, unemployed. Our goal was the half marathon. Mm. And we would go for these gorgeous – we had all day, but we'd go for these runs at 6 a.m. with Miss Albright and then come home. It was always sunny, either go via – cafe mode for a scone or go home and make a smoothie and dance around the house to blank spaces by taylor swift oh my god <laughs> we just had we just had all the time in the world back then i know i know it was a luxury to have company in that as well so we could make it fun and we weren't just stuck in the existential crisis of having no clue yeah although the the existential crisis was definitely there as well. It was the afternoons. <laughs> the morning was dancing around. The afternoon was <laughs> oh, crisis. But, yeah, no, I did definitely, definitely feel that. What I felt at the time, and I definitely talked about it with um, uh, our darling father, was, you know, like, I finished uni. I moved home to the city that I also wanted to work in, especially given I was interested in, like, policy and politics. Mm. And I, you know, didn't, it didn't take me long to find a job in reality. It felt like forever. But I was like, what happens to the people that come to Wellington? They finished uni. They're, they're paying rent while they look for a job. Then they don't find one. What do they do? And they go home to where they're from. And that's it. And I found that, that privilege, guilt, and just thinking about that really, really hard. Who didn't have the parents to kind of look after them. Um, so, yeah, that year wasn't the brightest year for me. Um, I found that year very difficult. I really struggled. And even in my, my first job, which was amazing, I still found it an adjustment. And it was also a really, really intense, quite wacky workplace. I was just about to say, was it amazing? Would you have described it? I mean, obviously you did. But... <gasps> it was, the work content was amazing. Yeah, I understand. Couldn't deny that. It, the work environment was, I feel like wacky is a soft word for it yeah makes it makes it sound like funnier than it was mm, yeah crying all the time is not that funny I guess no crying in the bathroom's not ideal apparently <laughs> when you're at your awesome second job and you're like ah okay yeah <laughs> how much of 
like how was 2000 and this is 2015 what a great year um was that for you or like did you know that because we were kind of like ships in the night a wee bit eh yeah I mean yeah I knew that for sure there's never been moments where we haven't been close so I've always felt like I've known what's going on even if I don't spend hours and hours talking to you every day yeah I'm going to get where we can energetically sense it as well. I don't know if then we would have used those words, but like, man, yeah, we, we totally know what's up with the other. You can do it through phone calls now, you know? You can yeah, you can see my face and know how I am through a screen. It's scary, but also really great. <laughs> oh, and then I guess fast forward and suddenly I'm here. <laughs> no, but... Um, Another part of that time was, you know, you're in you're in Wellington and you're working, and um, you want to be anywhere else, anywhere else in the world, but here. But you've got don't have the means to do all the things that you dream of doing. Um, and I actually this came up with my flatmates yesterday, but how I was really obsessed with Spain for for many reasons. A lot of my good friends are there, but I sort of have a little bit of an obsessive personality, and I was definitely kind of projecting a longing for home like I didn't feel a sense of home like I was in Wellington which is my home but didn't want to be there and I was kind of like you know outsourcing and seeing where I could go to get those feelings um because they were asking if I still felt that way now and I was saying I really want to go to Spain but it's not that level of obsession because I feel really grounded um and loved here in Wellington so I don't need that from it which I thought was a cool sort of different reflection of like how different Wellington in my life is in the last sort of five years, even though I'm you know, in the same place. Um, why haven't you left yet? When are you moving overseas? All that kind of um, fun stuff that we get asked all the time, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's totally all perspective because at that point when we, f- we first got back to Wellington, it felt like we were there because we didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. We were there by default and it was the only option because it was where our parents were and it's where we had a house that we could live in rent free which we were very lucky to be able to do mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. but now you're in Wellington by choice you could be anywhere in the world if you wanted to be so I think that perspective of just being somewhere because you cho- you've chosen to be there you've purposely consciously chosen to be there not just ended up there by default yeah the freedom in it it's amazing. And I've said this to people I was friends with way back when and that we're both still here and it's super conscious, like you said. Um, and I don't need to sort of prove to anyone why, you know, why you're still here. You always get those mm. questions and things. I just know that in myself I'm I'm stoked and, you know, happy for other people who want to and feel they need to go elsewhere. That's totally cool. Mm. It's a you-do-you you kind of situation, I think. Totally. Cool. So Honey Pot is all about connection, connection to yourself, connection to other people and connection to the earth, the environment. So I was interested in hearing about your favorite way to connect to yourself, to each other or to other people and to the earth. So one of those each. Mm. Oh, that's a delicious question. Connection to myself. This has come up in the last week it still comes to my head I don't know if it's it's quite right but what's the like the internal kind of dialogue that we have with ourselves in our head and I talk to myself all the time 
so much. My flatmates are like, you are crazy. I sound kind of crazy because I'm talking out loud to myself. But that's definitely one way. <laughs> so you're not just talking to yourself in your head. You're actually talking out loud. No, no, it's out loud. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Maybe it's annoying. Don't know. Um, yeah, just, just, just think it out loud. But that's a good way to check in with what I really want to do, you know? And it's like, it's, it's trying to listen to myself more and um, questioning why I'm doing stuff so that I'm following what it is I really want to do. Um, so that's a little funny way. So you find that a useful way to connect yourself, not a distracting or a detrimental way? I do, I do. At the same time, I'm like, is it is it like an insecurity that I'm like checking stuff, you know, I'm like saying it or something. So I'm still, I'm still mid, you know, mid, mid self-analysis here. Um, but currently I think I find it comforting and it makes me really present to what I'm doing. Amazing. Because I'm, I'm talking through and it's like, should I go do this? Do I need to go pee? Yes, go. Um, do I need another cup of tea? Yes. Uh, running around. Yeah. That's one way, I guess, another way I'm um, a really big journaler. So I journal, I guess, most evenings as a way to check in being like, how was that day? <laughs> how how are you doing? What, what do you want to do better tomorrow? Which is really useful. And things flow well with a pen. Sounds like you're talking to yourself as kind of checking in on the go. And then your journaling is your, let's check out check in and wrap up the whole day situation that's exactly it it's because it's just the same right you are just talking to yourself when you journal I just do it on a quick sort of just having to be writing it down mm, it's like the process um that's myself I guess um how do I best connect with others instantly in my head I'm a really big oh you can't see me but I'm wiggling my hands around um big touch touch person so I find that just the most the most deep and and accessible way of quickly dropping in with someone and expressing little little touches of of gratitude of being cheeky and annoying you know walking through our now home office to get my tea and just kind of you know giving someone a little scare or something but also Mm. yeah just a gentle I'm here for you or hugs Lots of hugs were quite a snuggly flat, which is amazing. Again, they're who I'm thinking of right now because they're the people that I'm currently connected with. Um, and I think in person is is a lot deeper than than virtual. Um, while still amazing to be able to talk to others, it's definitely on a different level when it's in person. And from a community perspective, I guess something that comes up for me is like sharing dance. Mm. again we do that as a flat we put on our headphones at 5 30 and we'll do a little ecstatic dance so we each pick our favorite song and like hit play at the same time you know so we're all listening to the same song and have a little rave amazing amazing way mm. to like shake it out to like connect and see how another person's grooving to the same beat and you're like that's an epic move and like oh it's just so fun mm. Mm, it's pretty delish and then also through like you know i taught um, a dance class this morning virtually still felt the love there it is even better in person and I you know I was able to share dance with the New Zealand's uh, Hack the Crisis which is the 48 hour hackathon that's going on this weekend um, as their little first energizer so you've got these 300 odd you know nervous people that are about to start this big weekend where they develop an idea into a you know into more of a product or a service or whatever it becomes um, 
so it's a cool cool way to share um, share and build community is through a boogie and I know that you uh, you think that as well I love a good boogie I'm not gonna lie Mm-mm. we haven't boogied together in a while I know mm. I think energetically just dancing in a room whether it's dark and there's loud music playing i.e a club or whether it's Mm. like your living room I think yeah there's just nothing else like it especially since we've grown up dancing and so there must be something about the familiarity of moving in that way that we that our bodies really enjoy too Mm, mm. and I think we both like sort of we've touched on this together before but around actually relearning how to dance for yourself unchoreographed unthought out just going with the music yeah in a way that's totally free rather yeah. than deliberate moves to the left then deliberate moves to the right you know yeah. just whether because it... you want to move mm-hmm. and it you know doesn't look good doesn't doesn't have to be right or wrong and then your third the third part the getting in touch with nature I am blessed we soul to live right by um, sort of on the on Lyle parade. And so each morning I just go for a walk along the beach and then jump in the ocean. And it would 100% be the perspective you get from being in the ocean. Mm. Not all of our morning swims, you get that. You know, you're kind of like, oh, togs, running in, quick dive under, it's bloody freezing. Give me a hot shower. Um but it's still still really connecting. But you know those moments when you're like, even a wetsuit's pretty handy to do this too because you float really well. Um, mm. You're sort of like lying in the water and you realise your insignificance and you're just popping along and everything's, you know, the skies. If you're just sort of floating, looking up, um, sunset's a beautiful time to do it, that dusk light. Oh, yeah, that'll be it. Mm, your insignificance I love that that is Mm. certainly a lesson you learn every time you go into the ocean I feel indeed yeah a lot of travel and we go so many places um to see cool stuff and when I get to places I'm like it's still the sunrise and the sunset that's by far the best and it's like oh wait that's everywhere that's at your home you don't actually need to go anywhere to enjoy those beautiful things Mm. So, yeah, really trying to appreciate and settle into that. Also, the full moon. Got to throw that out there. Got to do a moon. Shout out. Connections to the cycles. The cycle of the moon. The cycle of the sun. Day and night. Yes, I have the full moon and the new moon in my work calendar. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a mainstream sort of thing at my work by any stretch but you know I'm just being my just being myself and it's like cool I want to know so um in the calendar it goes <laughs> perfect the next step from that might even be putting your own menstrual cycle into your work calendar yeah I know and I've just got days I've just got little random like full day like 19 or <laughs> so he doesn't know what those mean oh you do already have it yeah I, I was kind of I was kind of joking I mean, I do. I have it on a separate calendar to my work calendar, though, I must admit. Um, <laughs> nah. So in terms of the earth, just in your opinion, there's no right or wrong answer here. What is the most effective or the easiest thing that we can do to help protect it? Hmm. Is, is not wishes. 
Um, if you want to know the first thing that came to my head, that's what came to my head. Not wear shoes. Well, so it was around, it's like having a better connection with it, right? You've got to care about it to then actually genuinely want to and take action to protect something. And people are so disconnected from it that actually a way to to ground yourself to it and actually feel it is to is to connect with it through your body, which is through the soles of your feet. Ah, uh, amazing. So indirect indirectly just having more connection with the earth will flow on into your other actions of looking after Mm -hmm. the planet or not littering or you know those sorts of little things yeah i'm just almost finished charles eisenstein's book um he's amazing (laughs) yeah and he's gonna listen to this podcast as well so um Uh, yeah he said said it through to him him. i will um but just talking about how we don't need, or it's not the best way to get people to like take action for stuff if they don't really care and they're doing it from a twisted level of, of guilt and like, yes. you know, morally I should to do the good thing, but it's like, you don't actually care and it's never going to be authentic, therefore not kind of long lasting. So what we need to premise all of that is the connection. Um, so spending more time out in nature and he calls it lover earth, not mother earth. Oh, because when you're growing up, you just take you take from your mother, and that's you know how it is. They give everything to you so that you can grow and look after you and nourish you. But that's our association we have with the earth is that we just are constantly taking. So we need to reframe that to be. It's, it's just there to look after us. That's what it's there yeah, for. Yeah, and there's no reciprocation. It's just take. Rather, hopefully, lover is more of an ongoing relationship um, where we listen to one another. Um, mm. So love it. That's delightful, Sally. That is that is amazing. Yeah, because in my head, I've thought about things. You know, essentially, the big question is how do we get people to change their behaviour when it comes to the environment? And it's like, oh, do they need more information? Do they need more knowledge? Probably not. Do they need more? You know, do we need to like sort of find a hook, find the thing that they care about? to make it tie into the thing that they already care about? Or, as you're saying, do we get them to start caring about the earth and then, by default, start looking after it? Because in some ways it's still a kind of educational piece. So, you know, like getting that connection to prove to anyone why. um, It's a you-do-you kind of situation, I think. So, you know, like getting that connection to inherently care is what's what's missing now and I think it's it's you know I'm a policy gal and it's you know I can think of all the well we have got legislation and regulation and that's one way that has to happen sort of in the meantime but that's not going to get you there you know sustainably things will change yeah so it's sort of like to get people to take action they have to already care um or else it's just going to come from yeah, a place of sort of should and being good enough and not because they inherently want to. Um, and that's a similar, well, in a, in a similar vein, it's kind of like, you know, we can't be coming from a place of anger when we're trying to get people to change their behaviour and, and mad at the, you know, CEO of the petrol companies and blah, blah, blah. Um, that's, you know, that's not going to change it. It has to, um, you have to think if you were in their shoes, you would be doing the same thing too. Um, and all be wanting to work together on um, a new a new way forward.
Mm. And so using different language, um, like Charles Eisenstein suggests, um, calling Mother Earth Lover Earth could be could be the first step to help. I think that's nice. Um, speaking of anger, you know, you just said that anger is not the way that we're going to help people understand or help people change or anything. Do you think that there is any use for anger as an emotion? Bum, bum, bum. Um, yes. Well, it's, it's a signal to yourself for how you feel about something and that there's, you know, something there, some resistance making you angry that you need to look at. But also anger is kind of a mask for sadness, I think. Mm. Uh, mm. And I know that for me in, say, lockdown, right, I'm like bloody angry where I was. And I think I'm just sad. I'm just sad I can't see the people I love or do anything, you know. Mm. Um, but anger is the easiest way and the sort of to express it. Um, and actually, no, I, I have I have this conversation quite a bit with my flatmates who who might say, no, anger doesn't have a place. Because um, I know I was driven from a place of anger to sort of take action and do everything all at once after I um, did some work on the mental health and addiction inquiry where I just heard so much of New Zealand's shit, basically. Um, and I was so angry on such a deep level. But from coming from that place, I was never going to make the best change. And I had to work through that myself and realize that I was due a breakdown um, and then be sad. And then now sort of framed it more. It's like anger and passion, you know, they're kind of closely aligned. Anger kind of fires my drive, but I don't know. She's a big one, Liz. If that is a big question, I, I will give you that. <laughs> I have been reading a little bit about the Stoic philosophy. Stoics believe that there is no use for anger or, and I don't know if I've been really wording this right, um, but, you know, really any strong, strong emotions at all, um, mm-hmm. any emotional reactions to the situation. Isn't this likely to help you make a better decision, I suppose? So, mm. yeah, that's interesting. I still think just in the real world, compared to what world I'm comparing to but the false world the false world the stoic world whatever the world in the books um the theoretical yeah the theoretical world I feel like in the real world that anger is is useful and valid and yeah even if it does yeah exactly show you how you feel about something mm-hmm. but if you know to leave space between feeling that and acting and that you have to work through the anger before you take the action you might you you're kind of limiting the um, the idea that I that I agree with with those philosophers around anger doesn't produce the best sort of actions. So we're trying to give that space. Calming the f- oh no, that's yoga. <laughs> <laughs> My next question is about something I've heard you speak on recently, which is community wealth building. Is it, Liz? <laughs> Tell us a bit about, I thought it's nice because it's about community and connection and all the things that Honeypot is about. Mm. What's something interesting you've been contemplating around this this idea recently? Yeah, well, you can't see me, but I'm sitting up straight. Um, <laughs> this is a serious question. <laughs> no, because it's like excited. But yeah, you're right. In the name, we're, community wealth building is about community, which is about connection. Yeah, 
Amazing. So there's such such parallels. And it's sort of like this awesome umbrella kind of concept. And you can it can be called, you know, many different things, but this is one way of, of wording it and pulling together some really awesome kind of local, more distributed power um, and trying to kind of keep wealth and that economic development um, more localised so it benefits the community and the real people. But there's so many different ways it can look like. And the, the the first one, key sort of part is around community and the commons and how we're sort of slowly losing those public spaces. I mean, right now we can't have freedom of assembly and talk to others, but generally. <laughs> yeah, in a normal situation. <laughs> in a normal situation. We don't have like those public spaces where people get together and we've got what's sort of private luxury and and, and public necessity and we want to flip that so actually we have public luxury and private necessity and that we share more these are really basic things that we've lost them and we like monetarily made everything into a transaction and so we don't owe anyone and we're super independent because we can buy everything that we need but there's a deep dependency in that it's just on people that you don't know and that you're not around and growing that connection is is through that interdependence, which we're quite scared of, but we also crave that belonging. So by giving and being able to receive, people are so bad at receiving on the whole, then they can't can't give either, and, and there's such power in that. Um, what can we do ourselves, and what can we give to others that we don't have to sort of um, pay for and yeah, look after each other and, and share things that we don't need all the time. Mm. Yeah, common common spaces for us to hang out in. <laughs> mm. um, I could go on and on. <laughs> Amazing. I um I think I've told you this already, but I'm just finishing off Alan de Botton's Status Anxiety. Yeah. And the chapter I just read was on the better our shared resources are, the less we feel we need our own resources. As mm-hmm. so just put it in one sentence, he used Sweden as an as example, which has an amazing public transport, so nobody feels a massive desire to have their own fancy car. Whereas in Los Angeles, public transport is horrible, and so everyone wants their own car. Um, as a simple, very simple and, explanation, and there's an there's probably like another layer to it where the social welfare system is greater. So you on the whole have a sense of security. So you're not compensating for your lack of security by hoarding stuff and possessions, which, which is kind of filling that void as well. Totally. And being overly anxious about your status, which mm. is what the whole book is about. It's about um, no way. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's about it. Yeah. Here we go now, but I remember writing something and it's, yeah, why we look for a sense of status and worth in the positions we have and we need to feel like we're enough just as we are, even if we had nothing. Or we can just shift and our status is dependent on our relationships or Mm. dependent on um, the value we bring or the way that we look after our family or the way that we look after the earth rather than yeah literally the dollar signs in the bank account or the cars in the garage 
And this is just, you know, the obvious disclosure that these are all stuff that we're constantly working on and I understand, like, you know, these are quite basic things sometimes. It's like you are enough in and of yourself. And it's like, yeah, cool, I get that. But how do you actually live by that? In practice. Yeah. And that's a fun a fun ongoing game, I believe. And getting your ego to just quieten on down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And for us, um, I even think our status is different to what would have been giving people status 20 or 30 years ago. Our status is derived on how many followers we have on Facebook or Instagram (laughs) or, you know, how many likes we have or how, you know, how often we go out to brunch. You know, it's more like... Have you tried the new restaurants? (laughs) It's it's still material, though. It's still... Mm -hmm. Mm. And similarly, there's there's like, how many million extracurricular things are you doing? Like, how busy are so you? Oh, busy. That's a good one. So ridiculous. Wow. You know, you can see where, where it comes from. And I yeah. fall into it so much. And, you know, lockdown's been really good for checking myself on that. And also, you know, FOMO's non-existent anymore because no one's doing anything. No one's got any expectation of you. Because I'm, I'm probably quite a, I'm a recovering people pleaser and slow recovery do things because they should go to things because they should but now I'm lifted I'm free of (laughs) the possibilities of that and what can I learn from that and how do I feel and how can I keep that going forward Um, it's going to be a fun little thing to see how pans out Mm. Mm -hmm. totally my next question is about a long-term relationship that has changed you in some way but I also want to hear about how it has changed you. Hmm. We're going to do one cop out one real quickly, and that's obviously you, but there's no single point because you've just changed everything about me forever um, in a good way. <laughs> um, we have been influencing each other since pretty much the day we were born, um, but I feel like that's totally natural. It's it's probably fair to say I would have been a different person <laughs> if you went around, if you went in my life. Very fair to say, yeah. Um, oh, that's right. We're doing a podcast. <laughs> Go on, mushy on you. Um, but the other thing that came up for me, you know, the other relationship that came straight to my head would probably, well, what I thought of was my um, last boyfriend and we broke up like, oh God, what was it, is it two years ago? A year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. And what, what makes it so special and why I sort of changed, I guess, it changed me was... Oh, my love, so I just lost you for a little bit. Okay, that's cool. Could you go back to mm-hmm. the last thing I heard was... Oh, that's right, we were recording a podcast. Oh, yeah. He, he, he. Um, I was just checking myself because I was going to get all mushy on you. Um. <laughs> oh, I don't mind a little bit of mush. <laughs> yeah, you are the most important relationship in my life. Um, okay, anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I was going to say the other relationship that jumped to my head for having a really, you know, big change on me and in ways that I probably didn't realize at the time would be my last boyfriend. Um, and I was thinking we broke up maybe a year and a half ago, and. The reason there is, I guess, the place that I was in just before we got together wasn't that great or around my relationship with men and, like, myself and my self-worth and being worthy of love 
Um, and I know that, that a lot of that is like a self journey that I have to go on, but sort of him, you know, coming into my life and making me realize, and that I've, you know, I've, I've held on to this, um, but that I am worthy of love and he brought so much joy and play to my life for it was like say two years and um you know I think not all relationships that don't last forever are a failure and that kind of idea pisses me off but you know where it's like oh so you didn't work out and that's it it's like yeah but those are amazing two years that we will remember and I think both of us you know look back on fondly there was no really bad feelings um but yeah, I think it really changed my, it kickstarted a journey for me in my self-worth and lovableness, mm. which I'm endlessly grateful for because, oh, I still have it now because, yeah, I'm cool. I like myself, which is a good thing. Yes. <laughs> oh. And you just announced that too. How I just people? announced that. Ah. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Hmm. I don't know if you saw that or, you know, I don't, who knows, but um, he definitely kind of picked me up a bit. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. You were, you came out of that relationship. And I'm not going to say an utterly different person, but like the same person with an utterly different perspective on life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, like I grew so much whilst in that relationship, but apart from him which was a big part of the us breaking up but I kind of had that that safe space to grow so I think it's, mm. it's not a coincidence that I was able to feel secure enough to then explore other parts of my personal development um mm. I thought about that before but I think that that yeah there's a definite correlation there oh that is lovely Sally and I going back to the first thing you said around um relationships you know in society being considered considered a failure if they don't work out if it doesn't end in marriage and kids I just completely agree with that I just think and this doesn't this isn't just apply to romantic relationships there's just there's always a purpose and a reason that somebody comes into your life but it doesn't have to be that they come in and that they stay there forever you know they mm. might come in to teach mm. you that lesson to help you evolve in some way to perform and then they and then they leave again so totally right and having space for new friends. Mm. I think it's really nice that we can look up back on a relationship and see that even though it ended to see it as a success. success. Mm. Mm. I agree. So to finish up, I would like to ask you some shorter, not exactly quick fire questions, but quicker questions. Righto. Righto. She's, she's, she's getting into the, Hot seat now. <laughs> we need to go. Born for this. What is your favourite smell at the moment? <laughs> Essential oil or any smell of something that, you know, whether it's food or, you know, whatever. Um, it is it is and always is rose. Anything rose. Mm-hmm. Addicted. Mm. I have a rose essential oil. Chuck it in my, my wee diffuser. Yeah, that's, that's the one. Lovely. And your favourite current go-to breakfast? Oats. Oats with banana and peanut butter. Ah, delish. Good little autumn number, I think. Mm, the chocolate and maple peanut butter as well, just to be specific. Ah. Mm-hmm. 
we'll start working on that um, Fix and Fog sponsorship, eh? <laughs> yes. Person you look up to? There's so many people why the pause. Yeah, yeah, um, I understand. <laughs> I'm not like... Uh. Mm, mm, mm. and I do that you know the, you know think about five people um but you've asked me for a singular person um and just it could just be the person who's influencing you the most right now I think just in general um our father Charles mm, mm, that's nice I like up to dad so much so much he's a gem mm. pretty magical human favorite book doesn't have to be a recent read um, Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. Shock. Do I need to go into it, or is that all you? Want? No, no. I just want to hear <laughs> the title again. I missed it. That was cool. that was that was that was the definition of quick fire. There, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. Mm, nice, thank you. Greatest author ever. Yeah, yeah. Favorite movie. Oh, God damn, Miss Congeniality, get out of my head. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what came to me. I love it. I was expecting um, Love Actually or Chicago. Mm, that came to mm, yeah. The other one would be The Untouchables, um, oh, which oh, I know I saw epic. with you, um, and I both laughed embarrassingly loud and cried in one movie in the theatre. So oh, must be a good God, That was pretty magic, wasn't it? <laughs> And this one's a little bit harder. I don't expect you to know it off the top of your head, word for word or anything, but favourite sort of quote? Yes, okay. Um. <laughs> this one I should get people to prepare before the podcast, shouldn't I? I'll tell maybe I'll um, um, My favourite poem, which is sort of like a quote, I guess, um, yeah. is when... Um, when I am full and you are full, we are two sons. I think it's really oh. beautiful. Um, Ruby Kaur. Um, and then my favourite quote is by is Tim Jackson, who's a badass, like, sustainable economics guy from Surrey in the UK. And it's something along the lines of we spend money we don't have to impress people we don't like through things we don't need to make impressions that won't last. Boom. Ooh. <laughs> Contemplating and thinking on that one for a wee while, can I? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this, I suppose then it all comes back to the fact that nothing lasts. No, you are correct. <laughs> you are not wrong, Liz. <laughs> well, that is a horrible note to finish on. So. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what um what is the thing that you are most grateful for right now my family which is you little one no always um a darling yeah mum and dad and you oh that's <laughs> so lovely also sunshine <laughs> sunshine yeah it's sunny today. I'm going to go out for a walk. Another walk. Ah. It's going to be great. Ah, sounds delightful. Well, thank you so much, my darling Sally, for this, for your time, for this delicious conversation. Mm, no, no, it was it was a delight, Liz. Thanks for having me.
we should do it again. We should. Online and offline. (laughs) 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 So good. I hope you've got a smile on your face. I do. I have so many warm, fuzzy feelings right now, Sawa. That's good, Lazel. Thank you so much for listening today to my conversation between myself and Sally. If you would like to look into a little bit more about what Sally's been up to, you can find her on her Instagram page at Sally Hit. She has links to some blog posts that she's written on community wealth building and other things in the public policy and um, social sector. Please, please let me know what you think of um, the conversation so far, guys. I would love, love some feedback. If you did like what what you've been hearing, please leave a review and share it with your friends. Okay, thank you so much. Bye.